my idea of perfect happiness is probably walking through the mall with a friend. I'm not as interested in the shopping as I am into the talking. I spent countless hours dissecting different outfits, sharing headphones to listen to music samples at record stores, and you know, pooling together pocket change to buy pretzels. Bliss. If I can't make it to the actual mall, Target will also do. Walking around with an overpriced coffee, a big red cart I don't need, and most importantly, a gossiping friend. I mean, what could be better? Not to sound aggressively millennial, but I've been a bit disappointed that adulting doesn't include more trips to the mall. Not because I miss the giant pretzels or staring at air fryers I probably won't purchase, but because I miss my friends. Um, don't worry, nothing's happened to them, but they're you know pretty far away and busy and I'm busy. And when it takes us literal years to get together, I'm a little embarrassed to tell them I'd rather walk around a store than go to a nice dinner. Although I have done that. As I get older, it seems to get harder for me to prioritize these friendships that once seemed to be so easy to maintain. And I wanted to see if anyone else is missing friend time lately. I'm Lauren Berry, and this is It's Generational. Four guests from different generations join the show to help me out. They include baby boomer journalist Dorothy Tucker, president of the National Association of Black Journalists. Gen X journalist Hugo Balta, former president of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. Millennial comedian and writer Aparna Nancherla, author of the upcoming book Unreliable Narrator, Me, Myself, and Imposter Syndrome. And Kim Syra, a Gen Z content creator focused on inner healing and community care. I used to go into work. I work from home now. I don't see like work friends or anything. And my best friend doesn't live in my city. She lives in New Orleans. And, you know, we... We just share memes all the time, really, is how we interact with each other. Um, so I was wondering, your best friend, all of you, how do you interact with them? Do you go see them? Do you share memes with them? Do you do political stuff with them? I want to know. Well, that's supposed to be a tough question. It says a whole, says a whole lot about us. Um, I, I talk to mine on the phone. Mostly we just, we physically are on the phone because they are, my best friends are in New York. So I have the same issue that you do. You know, I, I go to New York a lot because I, I don't just have one, you know, I've got three, four, five really close friends and they just all happen to be in New York or on the East Coast. So, you know, I'm out there a lot for that reason, but um I'm on, we don't, for some reason we don't do Zoom. We just, we just do the old fashioned, get on the phone and, you know, hey, you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm cooking dinner, making dinner, eating dinner. And that's the way that I do it. I love cooking on the phone. I actually find the phone like way less stressful than video chat. I don't know why it feels like you can just focus on the person's voice and you're not like trying to stare at your own face versus their face versus making sure the lighting's right or the camera angle is okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that means I'm old school or I think I am just, I can't multitask. That's probably the issue. Yeah, I FaceTime my friends like um, every single day. Um, that's just how I communicate. But also most of my friends are also not where I live. I live in like, I they're, either on the East Coast or they're a different part of California. So I FaceTime them. Me too. I, most of my my friends, my best friend, definitely they're, they're in the East Coast. We text all the time. He's actually a, a conservative. So 
It's <laughs> it's it is long text, and he sends me news articles, and then I'm I'm like, did you find the source? You know, you're you're just saying this. Where were you getting? It from? <laughs> and he, he sends me things from TikTok. I'm like, really, TikTok? That's you? But he, you know what? He's he's right because because statistically speaking, a lot like I said, a lot of a lot of people, particularly the young people, are getting their news information from social media. But he's 53, like me. And I'm like, really, TikTok? TikTok is your source of information. So it's always a, always a blast. But, you know, when I, when I do go out and see family, we spend time, right? Uh, happy that now things are opening up. So getting a beer or dinner, but they're all out there. So it's usually not phone calls, but usually texting, lots of texting. Yeah, I would also ask the rest of the group. I don't know if it's like the stage of life I'm in, but I found like maintaining friendships can be really challenging. Like, I don't know if it's like a time when it's like a lot of my friends are having kids or work is like dominating certain areas of their life. But I find just like kind of scheduling time to connect sometimes can be a whole task unto itself or just like being on the same page when you do finally connect and not having someone kind of caught up in in their own stuff. Like I found sometimes that just the frustrating part of trying to connect kind of prevents me from making more of an effort. We'll get back to the panel soon, but as fellow millennials, my producer Mallory and I would like to tell Aparna, yes, it's totally been trickier for us to maintain friendships as we get older. Mallory actually asked our expert guest, Dr. Frederick Smith, he's a psychologist with ThriveWorks, about how moving into different lifestyles as you get older, such as becoming a parent, can impact friendships. Yeah, those can be reasons that people tend to... um, drift apart because, you know, people have different circumstances. Um, You may not, you may no longer be working together. You may um, no longer go to the same school. You know, your lifestyles may be different. You know, I'm single and I don't have any children. My friend is married with children. And so that can create differences in, in your relationship. And then also your values may be different. We all grow and change and evolve in different ways. And so those are some of the reasons why friendships tend to break apart. And so that is a trend that I that I see in my work. And those are, like I said, some of the some of the common reasons that friendships tend to break away. Yeah, I, I agree. It is um you know, I mean, fortunately, I do have friends in Chicago, and we do. It, it literally takes us going back and forth in a text for us all to get together, and we have to plan a month out, you know. Uh, and for some reason, I think years ago, it just kind of, I, I reminiscing about a friend of mine who's in New York, and I just remember when I was in my early 20s, I didn't even call her. I literally would just get up and go walk to her home and knock on the door. And if she was there, she was there. If she wasn't, she wasn't, you know, and the advent of the phone and everything. I mean, we had phones then, but of course we did. Uh, But for some reason, you you didn't plan things so far ahead ahead of time. You just kind of saw what was going and called somebody on a Friday and say, hey, you home? Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I was going here. Okay, you know. But, you know, you, 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 life. Yeah, I do feel like technology has 
increase the possibility of when you can cancel. Like I've had a friend who has canceled like when they were trying to park and just been like, I can't find parking. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, this isn't happening, I guess. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. You know, I, I think, is it generational? Maybe. You know, when I think about with the question of the best friend, my best friend is, I met him when we were in kindergarten. Like most of my closest friends, I I made early on in life. And I've had, I'm blessed with lots of friends. I think as far as technology, um, it, it, it definitely, especially during COVID, it sort of, um, not rekindled, but because of the the access, uh, a friend that I made when I was working in South Florida, because of technology, we just kind of picked up where we left off maybe 20 years ago. So technology certainly facilitated some relationships that before the sophistication of, of, of the internet, I had lost because, you know, you just kind of, I lived in New York, I lived in Florida, you know, Chicago, but thanks to technology, that I'm really appreciative of. At this stage in my life, I'm 31, I keep in contact with most of my friends using technology. But as I mentioned earlier, I miss real life hangouts. And Dr. Smith said these can be an important part of friendship. Well, first and foremost, we as humans are social beings. We're social beings. And friendships can have a major impact on our health or our well being. Um, because when you have friends, you're less likely to experience isolation. You're less likely to experience loneliness. Friends are there to support you when you're going through some turbulent times, whether that be um, uh, going through a divorce or, or, or losing a loved one or going through a serious illness or even losing your job. Friends can be there to support you through all of those uh, negative or adverse situations. Next thing is, Having friends increases that sense of, of, of purpose and it increases your happiness. You know, it can reduce your stress. And so it's very, very important for us to not only to um, make friends, but also try to maintain those friendships in whichever way we think that we can. One way that we can maintain those friendships is to build and maintain the relationship. You know, if we are friends with somebody, then we should try to talk to our friends. I know we get busy, I know we get busy, but we have to make time for our friends. Even if it's just, hey, I'm just calling to see how you were doing. I just wanna make sure that you're okay. I'm, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, I'm really busy. But it doesn't matter how busy I am, I still want to take some time to communicate with my friends because we can make time for other things. We also should make time to invest in our friendships. So do you think social media helps or hinders relationships and friendships? I would say it's both because, you know, social media does allow um, us to maintain stronger connections. Um, you know, there are people that, I probably would never have contact with if it was not for social media. You know, uh, with the advent of, you know, Facebook and Instagram and things like that, I was able to reconnect with people that I had not talked to or seen since high school. And so in that aspect, it can be a blessing. 
But then also it can be a curse because written words can often be misinterpreted. And so a lot of times when you read something, you may take it the wrong way. And so that's why as much as you can, you need to maintain that face-to-face contact. I was wondering too, Hugo, because you mentioned I've had, you know, with the like Trump and stuff, I've had some friends as I've been growing up that our political ideas have really grown far away from each other. How do you maintain that relationship, even though your ideologies are different? And have have any of you had a, a friend breakup where you've become you've grown too far apart that you just can't do it anymore and you got to let it go? And that's uh, that's really interesting. Right. So I, I remember Obama was president eight years of Obama. And I remember the rhetoric in that 2016 election. Oh, you know, look at where, where, where we're moving. And everybody was so certain, the pollsters, Hillary's going to win. And Trump, everything that came out of his mouth, people were like, what? It's crazy. That's the, it just can't be. And then when he won, what was on the surface, it, it was like these things blossomed, right? All of a sudden, people came out of that figurative closet and felt, and, and, and in those four years, even more so, right, some groups became uh, emboldened, you know, because of, of some of the rhetoric that was coming from the White House and specifically from Trump. And the same thing happened with friendships and people in my family. Fortunately, very respectful, right? And, and I had to remind myself, that's this is one part of who that person is, right? Um, just like me, I think I lean to being a, a liberal, but there's a lot that I look at that the Republican Party serves up, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I can sign up for that. So I, depending on on the room, I'm either a, a conservative liberal or a liberal conservative. But I've been fortunate that no relationships have been severed. But I, I do appreciate that the cards are on the table. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know that about you, but good to know. Good to know. And I, I kind of refuse to um, allow the politics to kill a friendship. You know, I, ju- I just kind of made that decision. So I, when those kinds of things began to happen, um, I'm like, you know what? Our friendship is is not just this subject. It is not just politics. So that's an area we don't agree on. So we're not going to talk about it. And you know, and when I when I found that I did that with uh, friends, and when I did that with family, it it allowed us to survive because I can't imagine not being friends with that person today just because we didn't agree with something. For you know, we didn't agree something four years ago, and I can't I, I can't get rid of the family members, even though some of them I would like to kill them, but I can't, you know. So I'm again very happy that I just decided to just say, hey, you do you, you do you, boo, and you know, we just gonna move on, and <laughs> not talk about that. I actually need to learn from both Hugo and Dorothy um, because. <laughs> I actually have cut off all my friends that I disagree with, (laughs) like every single one of them, especially because I went to college in, I went to Penn State 
um, for college and very, very white, like super white, but none of my friends were white. They were all like black or Filipino. Um, but like for some reason, whenever 2020 up to 2022 was was happening, a lot of the, you know, the and I was like, yeah, do I really like you that much? Like, <laughs> do I? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> and so I made a decision where I think this was 2021. I wrote long paragraph letters to every single one of the people that I was friends with that I told I was cutting them off. Basically, it seems that. Older generations are more interested in keeping friends despite having differences with them, like maybe really big political differences or, um, you know, having gotten in a fight. They still want to keep up that friendship where younger generations like millennials and Gen Z are quicker to kind of end that friendship or step away from it. Is that something that you've seen as well? And do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing or both? Perhaps, you know, younger generations maybe they were raised to uh, under the the um the belief that hey if it's not working let it go move on and so a lot of times from my experience older generation they tend to have different values than younger generation i i even remember having older people say well it doesn't matter what goes on on the job, it doesn't really matter how your coworkers or how your supervisors might treat you. Even if it's maltreatment, you still need to stay there. Younger generation, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to put up with this. You know, I'm not going to sit in a place where I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to go elsewhere so I can receive some type of better treatment. So my philosophy is that I think it's probably just the way values and the way we as older and younger generation have, you know, just been conditioned. It's been years later. Will I say that it added to my life? No. Will I say that it took away from my life? No. So maybe we were meant to go, but now I'm in therapy. (laughs) Now we're learning to see a person for their wholeness. But sometimes, you know, I'm like, you really believe in that? Like, you really believe that? Okay, I think we should stop talking. So for me, it's like it's like a seesaw sometimes. I think, yeah, I think social media is also complicated things because I feel like people throw around their opinions a lot more freely. And like reading someone's opinion on a post, I feel like is a lot more triggering than maybe having a conversation with them in person. So I think it can sometimes create these polarizations that then like after the fact, you can't be like, but I, we had a great time hanging out once. You're just like, I, I can't hang out with you knowing you feel like strongly enough about this thing that you posted something like this article about it. Like it, it feels like it kind of dehumanizes us in a way, even though it kind of makes the impression that it's letting you express everything about yourself and make people know you like the most intimately. Well, let, let, let me just tell you from experience having, um, you know, disagreed with uh, a close friend from from college when the political in for us it wasn't so much Trump as it was when Obama was running. You know, all the black folks you were just automatically supposed to agree with Obama. Period, and and that really tore up families because it was like, what you don't think Obama should be president? Oh my God, what's wrong with you? You know, so there was and and, and so there was a, a friend of mine. We were on different sides. 
And that's when I said, okay, nope, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Glad I didn't. Fast forward 10 years later, you know, something happened in her life, something happened in my life, and we needed each other. And um, it was important that she was there for me. And, And I don't remember whether we got back on the same page or whether we agreed to disagree or whatever. I'm just glad that way back then we ended that discussion because, you know, 10 years later, uh, I'm glad she was there. And I think she's glad that I was there. So she, if it's not going to kill you, if, if you can just kind of put them aside, you know, not kill it, just put them aside, stay away a little bit. You know, uh, so we ain't we ain't be going on vacations and stuff this year. You know, next year we ain't doing that. But at least you know, ten years later, we can reconnect. And and I'm glad. Kim and Aparna, thank you for for being so honest and for being so transparent. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. Two things to add to the great advice that Dorothy just gave. Um, on a personal note. Continuing the relationship with my best friend, um, who's an ultra conservative, it really gives me a different point of view that clearly I don't have, right? We're all biased. And when when the word bias is used, it's always in a negative way. But biases are not always negative. There's a lot that we're programmed because of just uh, of, you know DNA that is good. And so we all have blind spots. And to have someone that I love someone that I trust, someone who's a brother to me that is helping me see things from a different lens. I appreciate that. I might not agree with him eight out of 10 times on certain things, especially with politics, but I appreciate that I have someone that is is being honest with me and giving me a perspective that I don't have. One. Secondly, in, in the workplace, as human beings, we always want to be comfortable. We shy away from anything that is argumentative, debates, but we need to embrace feeling comfortable at being uncomfortable because it is in those debates that innovation is born, new ideas are born. You might not agree, but you'll you have a better understanding. So for me, whether it's personal or professional, I really appreciate those moments respectfully to be able to have those discourses because I might walk away not agreeing with you still, but I'm gonna better understand you for it. And again, that's where, those are where ideas are born. Mallory also jumped in here to talk about what can be a really complicated layer to friendships. So I think that the way that I've operated in my friendships has like sort of gone against some of those cultural norms when it comes to my other like Filipino friends. Um, you know, I'll dip out from a, from a party or, you know, maybe I might not show up for a few months, but then I pop up and I'll make sure to get a gift or, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm just a little bit more used to like operating solo. And that's, uh, I think sometimes I've had to like explain that to my friends in a, in a very loving way, um, to be like, Hey, I'm not avoiding you. Um, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm doing my thing and I'm going to see you at the next party. And I love you guys, you know? So so when I was listening to Mallory speak, and thank you for the context, Mallory, the first word that came up in my mind was code switching. So as having been often the only Latino in the room in the workplace, sometimes the only person of color in the workplace, 
I had to code switch. I had to learn almost like a different language when I'm with white people, when I'm with people from a so- different socioeconomic background than where I grew up. And that's happened with not just members of the white community, but other members from different cultures growing up. And, and, and part of it like wasn't, wasn't me. Um, I grew up right outside New York and spent a lot of time in New York where it, there's an abundance of culture and, and different people. So growing up in an area of the country that I was exposed to different cultures, different races, uh, even to a certain degree, because it's changed and in, in, in a good way, the openness of, se- of different sexual orientations, that helped me to be able to code switch and maneuver in a way that I wouldn't have if I would have not been exposed to that diversity uh, growing up in my education and certainly in the workplace. So how I show up is completely transparent, right? What you see is what you get. I'm very true to who I am because it's not just about me. If, if I negate who I am, then I am denying my parents. I am denying my, my grandmother who used to wash uh, the clothes in her block to make ends meet. So who I am, uh, being transparent is very important to me. With that said, I don't force it on anyone. You like me, you don't like me, that's fine. And if I'm in a room, again, with people who are different from me, I don't want the spotlight, but I do want to integrate into the conversation without being uh, disruptive. So I think I hope that answers your question. I, I think it's multi-layered, but anyway, those are the images that I have conjured up when Mallory was speaking. At my age, I have to think back on how I have evolved because obviously today I don't hesitate to bring my full self to every relationship uh, boldly. But, you know, I do remember being 13 years old and um, my school was changing from, my grade school was changing from predominantly white to predominantly black, literally in a course of three months. And there were maybe five white kids left. And I was friends with one of the girls and um, we were on the playground and I saw there were kids who were, who were bullying her, who were just teasing her. And she looked at me, we locked eyes and there was a plea to come save me, say something. And I didn't, they didn't hurt her, but I knew she wanted me to acknowledge her and say, but you're my friend, aren't you gonna stand with me? And I didn't do that. I've never forgotten about that. That feeling of, for the simple fact that because she was white, I was embarrassed, I was not strong enough. Something said, no, you can't, you know, everybody else is gonna look at you, funny, all the other, but I didn't do it. And, you know, I remind myself of that. Um, so the friends, the white friends that I have, uh, I'm, I'm ride or die for them like I am for my black friends. 
you know, because if, if, if I'm with you, I'm with you and I'm going to stand with you no matter what, you know, so now what does it mean? Do I have a lot of white friends? No, I don't. I don't. I don't have a lot because I, you know, my, my community, my family is predominantly black. So I don't. Uh, but those that I do, we've been friends for a very long time. And, um, you know, I know I can count on them. I know we can be honest with each other. We don't agree on everything. And I feel like there are times when I can really give them the perspective, the honest perspective of a Black person. And they will call me up and say, hey, you know, if I do this, or if I say this or whatever, you know, how's that going to be? How's it going to look? And I, I love that. You know, I love that we have that kind of relationship. And my test at work is that if we're friends, I've probably been to your house or you've been to mine. And if that we haven't gotten to that level, then we're co-workers. And that's cool, too. That's cool, too. I'm definitely comfortable and I, I definitely embrace people of all, you know, of all religions now, all colors. And, and it's an education, you know, and I, I, I really, I really enjoy it now. I think coming from a culture where, you know, like a South Asian culture, sometimes any familial strife or, or things that are happening in your family, there isn't like always an open dialogue about discussing problems that come up or like shared traumas, like things are sort of compartmentalized and then you move on. And I do find that I, it still has taken a lot of therapy and work for me to show up in my friendships and like be willing to talk about hard things and like bring things to light that might not be like the easiest to talk about or, or make enough space for my grievances and not just constantly being trying to accommodating the group as a whole, or like the other person. Like I find that is work. I have to sort of un, un deprogram in myself. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, so um, Mallory, I'm also Filipino um, immigrant and I've had a lot of just going to be super real with you. I've had a lot of issues with like the Filipino culture, especially growing up. Um, there is this thing in our culture, it's called the crab mentality. And I literally like, I hate it because basically what it is, is a bunch of crabs are in a bucket and one crab decides to get out of the bucket, but all the other crabs try to take them down. That's a lot of what I was exposed to growing up. I didn't go to a, go to school with white people till like high school. Most my, my community was most mostly um, BIPOC. And so I learned that within my Filipino friends, I couldn't really fit in because how they joked was by making fun of each other. Or like we would all literally like just joke about the fact that we were all hit as kids because that's like the cultural it, it's and it's it took a lot of work to like look at my culture, to look at the way that we were doing things to be like, that's messed up. Maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. But because it was so ingrained in my parents' and my parents and how they were raised, and um, it came across how I was raised, I think it's caused a lot of division within myself and within a lot of Filipinos in my in my community. Um, on top of the fact that I don't speak my native tongue, but I can understand it. So there's a lot of like in-between worlds happening. So how I take my culture now and I show up to the world is literally just myself <laughs> There's like that. So it's, it's, and what I love, I will say this, what I love about this country, because 
My parents came from the Philippines and I've seen like their experiences growing up. But what I love about and what I feel so lucky for in, in my position is being exposed to so many different experiences and so many different just racial identities and being able to learn from everyone else and being able to call up my black friend and be like, you know, to what Dorothy said, like, if I were to say this or, you know, this is my perspective on this, please tell me I'm being racist. Like, please tell me this, frankly, and then call my white friend and be like, you're fucking, hey, sorry, you're racist. Like that, you shouldn't say that. I've had friends tell me some hard truths in the past, and I've had to do the same for them. It's probably one of the greatest benefits of having friends, you know, they can help you get perspective and tell you stuff that's hard to hear. However, friendships can also come with their own toxic patterns and behaviors. One thing that I've seen is comparison traps and double standards. And of course, comparison traps occur when we measure our lives against someone else's. And it can be a very toxic behavior because when we engage in comparison traps, comparison traps can fuel depression and it can fuel envy. Because I'm comparing myself to my friend and they're, and I'm looking that they have all of these different things that I don't have. But see, we have to keep in mind that Whatever successes that the friend has, that success is for them. And I should be able to celebrate that success. And then whatever successes that we have, these successes are for us. And the friend should be able to celebrate our successes. And then also with double standards. And of course, double standards occur when rules apply to one friend and don't apply to the other. There should be fairness in your friendships, okay? I'm gonna give you a personal example of uh, how a double standard destroyed a friendship that I had back when I was in college. Uh, I had a close friend and she had gotten to the point where she would speak very recklessly to me. And of course I had gone to her a few times about this behavior. And she continued. And I noticed that whenever I would give her the same type of reckless talk, she would get angry and upset. I said, but let's, let me give you a solution. Let's both of us watch the way we talk to each other because nobody wants to be disrespected. I won't speak to you like that anymore. And you don't speak to me like that anymore. And she told me she was going to talk to me however she felt like talking. And that friendship is no longer, it's no more. One, one thing that you mentioned, Kim, that Dorothy also mentioned, is, and is so important, is creating safe spaces to have those conversations, whether it's with friends or in the workplace, because that's very powerful, those learning moments, to, 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 to have someone to say, listen, I, 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 this is because I, I trust you, I wanna say this, because I, I don't want to go out there and say this, you know, my daughter is uh, a bisexual woman. And I have had, I have friends that are members of the LGBTQ community. One of my, my good friends uh, is an openly gay man. But when she, my daughter came out at 12, it was the first time in my family, in my immediate family, that there, there was someone who was openly, um, in, in the case of my daughter, a bisexual woman. And I, 
she has created such a wonderful space to learn um, that is transformative for me because it's one thing to have a friend and be an ally. And then there's another thing that a member of my tribe, my community, my daughter uh, is, is a member of the LGBTQ community. And she's always educating me and creating these safe spaces. And she understands sometimes I'm ignorant with pronouns. I'm ignorant uh, about so many things, but because I have that safe space, it, it helps me a lot. And then when I'm out in the world, you know, I have a, a better uh, vocabulary in certain circumstances, but a better understanding. In order to have safe spaces for family and friends, there's one element to relationships that is really necessary, said Dr. Smith, and that's trust. And so if if we were told repeatedly that, you know, people will try to hurt you or people will try to harm you or you have to watch out because people may have ill intentions or if we've been through experiences where somebody has abused us or misused us or messed over us, so to speak, those beliefs that develop as a result of those experiences and that teaching can interfere with our ability to trust people. So is there a way that we can help each other with that, like small ways that we can, you know, if we want to be out there and build friendships and community, kind of help infuse more trust in the world? (laughs) Well, one thing that we can do is we can be more, more loving and more caring, more thoughtful toward each other, you know, expressing more gratitude for the things that people do for us and the things that people show us, rather than showing all negative things in our media, whether it's on TV or even social media, maybe show some more positive things to let people know that the world is not completely dangerous. There are some good aspects to our world. And then us as people having more open-mindedness and being willing to change or alter those core beliefs that we might have developed. Because thinking all people are gonna try to mistreat me is not factual. So if anyone's interested in spending a day at the mall with me or you know even Target, please hit me up. Thanks for listening to It's Generational. I'm so grateful for our panel guests, Dorothy Tucker, Hugo Balta, Aparna Nancherla, and Kim Syra. I'd also like to thank our expert, Dr. Frederick Smith of ThriveWorks. Our theme music is by Zapdra. If you like this talk, definitely check out the other episodes we have featuring this panel. We discuss mental health and community. This episode was produced by Mallory Samara and me, Lauren Berry. Myron Kaplan is Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. You can listen to It's Generational on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.